choo choo. <laughs> so if you were on the staff of the midnight meat train, what position would you like to hold? Uh, you know, I probably would like to be the guy who does the recordings for the next, for like the next stops so that I could say, you know, like, uh, next stop Roosevelt, keep your hands clear of the doors. Next stop North. Oh, you mean the conductor? No, no, no. Like the automated voice. Like I'd be in a phone, I'd be in a recording booth recording for the next stops because the, the, the conductor doesn't do it. Not in today's day and age. And then, you know, all of a sudden, like you're just chilling on the subway, listening to your music or reading your book. And then you hear my voice come on and it says, Nick, stop. Hell. You're like, what? (laughs) Hell. So you want to be like Charlie and Charlie's Angels, a mysterious disembodied voice that just tells people how it is. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's definitely how I would see myself in fitting in this world. How about you? You know, I feel like I would like to be uh, the police chief or the conductor. That seems like a pretty cushy job that you get get to keep your hands clean. But then the conductor tells uh, our buddy Bradley Cooper at the end of the movie, you're so lucky. Like he wishes he could have his job. Yeah, well, because he's a, I, I think the conductor is a demon, right? So the demon can't he can't do the work. He can't do all that work. They need a person to do it because that's against the rules or something. Yes. The rules are a murky thing (laughs) in this movie, but you know what? I'm here for it. It works for me. It's Clive Barker. Feel the pain. (laughs) I love it. All right. Jesus wept. We are Necromancer. 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 Uh, I'm Shira. I'm a fan of rom-coms. I'm Brett. I'm a fan of horror movies. Every week, Brett picks a horror. I pick a rom-com. We make each other watch those movies. And then guess what we do then? Well, we flip-flop them around. We turn the horror into a rom-com and the rom-com into a horror. This week, we are continuing the theme of actor Bradley Cooper, uh, also director and writer, probably, I think. Uh, And last week, we covered him as a romantic lead in Silver Lang's playbook. He did the look very effectively. I I didn't mention this, but he he pulled a page out of the Matthew Good book, and, and he gave some good looky eyes at Jennifer Lawrence. He was, uh, he's very good at the passionate look. Uh, and I think maybe, maybe being a, a little photographer in a movie called Midnight Meat Train maybe prepared him for what he would do down the line. Uh, but yeah, now, now it's time for Brett's movie to shine. And you had been thinking about Midnight Meat Train. You'd wanted to do 
Midnight Me Train as an episode before we decided to focus on on Bradley specifically. Uh, but what brought you to Midnight Me Train? Oh man, what a freaking movie! This movie's so good. This movie's so good, and no one watches it because the title of the movie is freaking Midnight Meat Train, which sounds like a bad movie. It sounds like a bad movie. It's not that it sounds like a bad movie. It sounds like porn. It sounds like a gay porno, which is an SEO. Search engine optimization is optimized to mostly help people find porn. So it it's not optimized to help you search for uh stylish independent horror movies. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I mean, I saw this movie when I was working at Blockbuster and I just saw the name of it and the cover of it and I was like yeah, why not? Let's do it. And I didn't really know it was a Clive Barker story or that it was Ryuhei Kitamura who directed Versus, uh, which was a movie I was familiar with a lot, but very much so in high school. That's a very high school teenage boy kind of movie. Yes, I um, saw Versus when I was in high school too. Uh, I didn't actually know though that this was uh, by the same director until you told me. So I'd seen both verses and Midnight Me Train. And now only on the second time rewatching Midnight Me Train was I watching it knowing who directed it. Yeah. It, um, I mean like right away I was blown away by this movie because it has so much stuff that I just like in a movie, but the more I watch it, the more I fall in love with it. And like, I really do think this movie is a masterpiece of horror filmmaking i mean i know i know kitamura is a very stylish filmmaker but i think a lot of the style in this movie serves the movie well like a lot of it it's not just style over substance it's like the style is the substance as we it's a very cinematic movie and uh well this isn't a movie that benefits from being over explained i think i think that that's you know, the tension. Whereas if somebody thought, well, I'm going to make a limited series for Midnight Meat Train and do 10 episodes just about Midnight Meat Train, then they'd beat it to death and they'd over explain the whole, the whole world in which Midnight Meat Train is built when so much of what's interesting and cool about this movie is what's just left completely unsaid and that you learn via context clues. I don't think that there's anything that would make this movie better by expanding it or explaining it. It's again, one of those movies that I would describe as taught. Taught, very taught. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I also just think that like, this is kind of one of those things where it's a, a chicken and egg scenario where Did the director, did the writer, director, did everyone involved in the movie plan on making this shot this important? Or am I just overanalyzing the crap out of this movie because I absolutely love it? Um, No, no. I think that... I think that this movie has multiple shots that I recognized 
as being like other thrillers or good movies I've seen. So before we we get into it proper, I'll just break down two very specific examples. When Vinnie Jones looks in the mirror and and makes sure that his suit is right, that was so Le Samurai. Just the whole mm-hmm. him looking in the mirror, him going through all of his his things and and just sitting there and being still or walking and being blank. Uh, talk about an actor who does know how to be a complete cipher. Uh, Vinnie Jones is is perfect in that that role. So that I felt was very lost Le Samurai like, and I would not be surprised if that was something that uh, the director was thinking about. Uh, and then there's another sequence uh, later in the movie when they're in uh, his apartment and it goes above the apartment. Uh, and, you know, it's like they take the roof off and you see the rooms that they're in versus the room that he's in. That looks exactly like, uh, do you remember the end of the movie Taxi Driver? Mm-hmm. When after he kills all the people, they do a shot that's very similar to that. So it's, again, you know, one of those sort of gritty thriller cinematography moments. And I don't think it's you just being, you know, over analyzing. I do think that the movie uses shots that are really impactful uh, in movies of the past. It's just whether or not you've seen those movies. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I know as we start to get into uh, breakdown territory going through the movie, I think it's super awesome that this movie has a lot of very meta stuff going on uh, because the very first cameo we get from our very first boy on the train is uh, Brian Taylor, who is one of the co-writers and directors of a little movie called Crank. Oh, yeah. kind of like how at the beginning of Collateral, Jason Statham gives him the suitcase. Yeah, the transporter gives him the suitcase. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Well, I guess that is my cue to get into the story where, in fact, we begin with the eponymous Midnight Meat Train, which is a very clean train. Uh, and we'll soon find out why. Uh, but, uh, well, we, we begin right, we just right out of the gate, we're just plunged into the violence and the gore as a well-dressed man just wordlessly murders the remaining passengers on this train, and you clock that he's wearing a ring with an eight-point star. Uh, and then we uh, were you about to say something? I was just going to say I really like the fact that they start with the killings on the train in this movie because there could be that idea of like for half the movie maybe you don't know if it's real or blah blah blah, but like no, this movie is like no. There's this guy killing these people on these trains. It's real. Bradley Cooper's going to find him, and then shit's going to get even worse from there. It, none mm-hmm. of this fake-out stuff. None of this None of this PG stuff where it's maybe. No, this is an R-rated movie. Fuck you. We're killing people brutally in this movie. Sit back and relax, baby. I feel <laughs> like a movie like this does a good job of weeding out the ones who are not going to be able to take it really quickly. So if you're somebody who can't handle gore, can't handle scares, you will 
change the channel, turn off the movie within that first five minutes and can go on with your life. And then the rest of us sick fucks will keep watching the movie. Uh, so we're introduced to Leon, a vegan, <laughs> a vegan photographer with the audacity to bring tofu to restaurants and demand that they fry it on their grill for them. Ugh, awful. Um, but he he shows his photos to this potential patron and gallery owner, Susan Hoff, played by Brooke Shields. Uh, and she she wants something grittier, edgier from him. And so she says, you know, get get something really cool uh, and, and come back with that because the material you have now is boring. What uh, she tells him is, if you really want to see the meat of the city, you got to ride that midnight train. Did she really say that? No. That's pretty much what she said. Though. <laughs> well, I mean, he does say later that he has a train to catch. Right. But I yeah, feel that that, that was earned. Yeah, uh, that was. We, I feel like appropriately for an Asian director, he withheld until the absolute moment to just strike you with that line. You know, he could have said it so many times earlier. There could have, this movie could have been filled with train puns right. and train lines. Um, but no, they, they wait till we, we finally depart from reality. When the last link to reality is yeah. gone. Then we have a train to catch. Um, but, but we're still in reality territory at the beginning. So Susan Hoff, she wants photos. Bradley Cooper, Leon, he decides to go into the subway late at night and take and he starts taking photos of these these guys that are about to rape this woman. And I find it very interesting that, you know, much there, there's a lot to be said about the ethics, the morality of a photographer. You know, you see photos like there's that very famous National Geographic photo of the starving child where you can't help but think about what is the psychology of the person who takes a picture instead of intervening. But he he takes the picture and then he does quickly intervene, but he, he waits he waits longer than necessary so he can get the shot. Right. Uh, and he does, He, to his credit, he scares them off. He saves the woman. She kisses him spontaneously. Uh, she gets on the train and is uh, murdered by the killer. Uh, and he finds out that the girl is missing. So he goes to the police and he offers to give them his photos. He tells her about the, the guys that were harassing her, but the police chief is just doesn't seem interested at all. And I don't know if you clock this, but she also has a medallion with an eight point star. She has a necklace. Um, meanwhile, he shows his edgy photos to Susan Hoff she promises to put Leon in the next show if he can bring her more like it. So then Leon begins going and taking pictures late at night. And this is when he spots the well-dressed killer that we know is murdering people on the train. Uh, and he starts to follow him because he, this guy is interesting to him. Uh, and he follows him to work uh, there's a really nice scene where uh, 
he he gets spotted because you know the killer isn't a dummy he knows he's being followed but i liked the sequence where he realizes that he is he's been spotted so he goes into the hanging meat area uh and hides from him uh and then realizes that he's right right behind him and he has to run away um uh, it's like this movie isn't necessarily like it is a slasher flick because we're just seeing people get offed every now and then but this movie just has so much delight in that cat and mouse chase of Mm -hmm. bradley cooper and vinnie jones and and making you want them to be close together but making you squirm in your seat as it's like the way that it's shot is just so beautiful how like you have a hide and seek in a meat plant. But the thing that I think makes it extra juicy, uh, pun intended, is that it's ultimately, from a narrative standpoint, the dress rehearsal for what comes later. Uh, that's why I, I wanted to point it out. So so the killer just he just keeps doing his job. Uh, but then one night he he has a struggle because he has to kill Quentin Rampage Jackson, UFC fighter Quentin Rampage Jackson. Uh, and he, you know, it, it's harder to kill him than than the others. Uh, and the conductor comes out and he shoots the victim and he kind of admonishes the killer. Like, doesn't he say something like, I'm disappointed in you, Mahogany? Yeah, or, or some, something like that. But we learned that the killer's name is Mahogany. No, he's not the Diana Ross movie. He is named Mahogany. So Leon's obsessed with Mahogany. It's well, causing we also, him. We we skipped over the Ted Raimi kill, right? Because that comes before the the Rampage Jackson kill. Ted Raimi is is the business guy talking to his business partner, and mm. then and then he gets his eye blopped out by that oh yes that you know and you know i'm glad you brought that up because it made me remember um i don't know if it's still this way but remember when every movie was released in 2d and 3d yeah uh and i don't know i i was never that into 3d maybe it's because i wear glasses and i hate the idea of glasses over my glasses right um but the eyeball coming out of his head and then bouncing off the screen was a very 3d moment for a 2d movie. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think this was in 3d, but it's just the idea of like the voyeur, the eye, his eye is being popped out, but then we have the girl being killed and it's all one take for her. You know, we see her get pulled away. Very wet. Yeah, and then he gets he smashes like her head. It's like the first day of my period. Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and and but yeah, he he drags her back. He smashes her head off. Her head rolls, and then we cut out like we we pull back from her eyes. It's very like voyeuristic. It's all about that eyeball shot. It's all about who's watching who and who's seeing what. And like we're seeing our own death as we pull back from this character's last eye blink. And like we're we're going from real world into like super batshit crazy world. 
The stylized violence in this movie feels very Japanese. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I also felt like they did a good job of making all of the dead body props look extremely glossy. Right. Uh, yeah, like everything in this movie is glossy and wet. Um, so Leon is just obsessed with mahogany. He starts eating meat. Uh, he pulls a history of violence and has some questionably consensual sex with <laughs> his girlfriend. Uh, but uh, clearly someone here values foreplay, even if Cameron Diaz and the holiday <laughs> didn't. Um, but Maya, his girlfriend, she's very concerned, but Leon just can't quit him. Uh, and he can't even take sexy pictures of Maya. I thought that was a very strange and interesting scene where he literally starts to have flashbacks and sob as he's trying to take sexy pictures of his girlfriend. Uh, and then even though he promises Maya that he's done with it all, he still follows the butcher he follows mahogany onto the subway witnesses him slaughter several passengers hang him up on hooks uh and leon then passes out and he wakes up in the slaughterhouse with markings carved in him and no no questions about why he was permitted to live uh or anything like that uh and then maya with the help of jurgis uh who I guess Jurgis is just their mutual friend. Um, they decide to investigate. Scooby gang goes to the apartment. Uh, they uncover drawers and drawers just filled with uh, silver tools and knives. And Maya finds uh, the weird. Uh, it's like he puts his little shaved off boils in that same blue water that barbers store their combs or something. Yeah, uh, it's so it, gross, but it's just, so perfect. It's perfect, but it's just absolutely disgusting. Anyways, Mahogany, who never asked for people to just walk into his home and start messing <laughs> with his stuff, kills Jurgis. Maya manages to escape. Uh, and she takes with her the train timetable, uh, and she goes to the police, but they tell her the, the resident just wants his family heirloom back. We didn't find any of the things you were talking about. There's nobody in there. Like, uh, this is nothing of what you say is, is going on, but Maya is unconvinced. And then the policewoman says, why don't you go take that midnight train? Uh, so clearly she's in on it. She's right. so in on it. Uh, and then Leon goes to the gallery opening, but he looks like shit. Uh, he's already just off his, off his meds in a big way. Uh, and he decides to leave because why does he got to leave? Why does he have to leave, Brett? Oh, he's got that train to catch, baby. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he's got to get that train. Uh, and he suits up to face Mahogany with a metal butcher's apron and knives. He also grabs a hook and in a great use of Foley effects moment, it has that blade sing sound effect when he, you know, when you pick up a hook, it doesn't make that sound. But for the purpose of this movie, for it to be like swing, uh, was, it was a very samurai sword moment. 
so Leon, he's waiting to jump on the train and then he sees Maya and we get a great manly no scream. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then he runs onto the back of the train. Uh, he enters just as Mahogany is really getting to work. Um, and just before Mahogany is going to clobber Maya to death, Leon fights him. Uh, they get into it. They're moving between all the bodies in the train. And as I said before, uh, they've been sprayed down with the shiny glycerin or soul glow. So they look uh, very uh, waxy. Uh, and, and this is it. It's the, it's the fight. It's the showdown. Uh, and eventually Leon manages to throw Mahogany from the train. The train stops uh, and the conductor comes out and says to step away from the meat. Uh, and as they step away from the meat into the gigantic boneyard, the city version of the cave dwelling monsters from uh, what was it? The cave diver movie. The Descent. Yeah, so yeah. the descent are the country mouse uh, and the ones from Midnight Meat Train. That's the city mice, uh, and and they get they get to feasting. Meanwhile, Mahogany's still alive, and now Leon has to fight him a second time in his final form uh, around all the piles of bones and decomposing bodies. Uh, and then finally, Leon stabs Mahogany. He impales him. And as Mahogany dies, he says his one line, welcome. Yeah, fuck so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the conductor <laughs> appears. He cuts out Leon's tongue, makes him watch as the conductor kills Maya. The conductor reveals that their purpose is to serve the creatures and protect their secret. Uh, and now we flash forward. A new butcher has been chosen in the place of Mahogany. Uh, they've inherited Mahogany's apartment. The police official has handed him the train timetable. We follow him as he stalks through the train car and he turns his head, revealing that Leon is now the butcher. So Mahogany was training his replacement this entire time, and he didn't even know he was about to get fired. Oh, it's so good, though, man. I love it so much. I love I love that whole idea of, of, like, Mahogany has this ring, and this ring is like his alpha call, right? Like, his, like he's, he's puffing his chest. In the wild, he's showing his ring and everyone else is going to back down. But Bradley Cooper sees the ring and goes like, I kind of want to know more about this guy. And, you know, even even though Vinnie Jones is puffing his chest the whole time saying, like, you really don't want to know me. Bradley Cooper's like, no, I do want to know you. And, like, you know, it's one of those stories that's very much like old boy or something where the closer you get to the truth the more self-destructive things are around you. But the more you like the, the point of no return in this movie is the first scene. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's if, like you said, if, if you turn off the movie after the first scene, it's because this movie's not for you. But after that, we want to see Bradley Cooper take on the role of midnight meat train butcher. Like this is the movie that we want. And the movie just knows exactly what it is right from the get-go. The fact that they have a close quarter combat 
butcher melee fight in between a bunch of dead corpses. Like, oh. You see, this is what I prefer about Clive Barker over, say, a Stephen King story, where Stephen King stories tend to generally be about good people for the most part. And then Clive Barker's stories are about depraved people with vain and narcissistic tendencies that are Icarus-like in their desire to fly as close to the sun as possible. And in some ways, you actually want to see them punished for their hubris. His insatiable desire to know, to obtain, has to be met with an equal amount of force. And it it honestly it reminds me of um you saw did you ever see Twelve Monkeys? Oh uh, once a long time ago, yeah. Have you ever seen the movie that it's based on? No. Well, I mean, spoiler alert for La Jetie or, or Twelve Monkeys, the the whole premise of the story is the man from the future going back in time to stop a catastrophic event. But one of the things that he's fixated on is this memory he has of this man being shot and killed on this dock. Or in 12 Monkeys, he has this childhood memory of seeing this guy shot in the airport. Uh, And he's just drawn to this image, this memory, this idea. So when he goes back into the past and he fails to stop the future from coming, it all culminates in him realizing that this moment that he's obsessed with is actually the very moment that he dies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and he's the man who gets shot. So this idea that somebody could insatiably look upon their own demise, to look at Vinnie Jones as mahogany and to know that's my death, that's my end, that's where I'm going, but then to be drawn to it anyways and and have to get to that point. That's what this movie is like. Yeah, this well, yeah, this movie is definitely a Clive Barker movie because you know, if you have to write what you know, here's a character who is a voyeur of sorts who has you know, he's an sexual, artist, right? Yeah, he's an artist. He has these weird kinks of sorts. He has these desires to find out where these kinks come from. He finds sex with women to be this very weird, violent act, but he finds this other man to be very charming and very worth pursuing. He finds this man to be worth pursuing. Uh, <laughs> he, he he has stuff coming from within his body that is part of him that he has to like cut off to stay healthy oh, but it's still part loves of him. body horror yeah he, he's right he's probably should have been dead decades ago because he's had cancer and uh, didn't he have aids or does he have aids he's got you know he, he's got Clive bad Parker stuff has a controversial history because i think that he might have been sued in a civil case by one of his partners for uh, knowingly giving his partner HIV without telling him or, you know, something like that. I, I I don't know if he, if Clive Barker has AIDS, but I do think he's HIV positive. Gotcha. Yeah. So, and, but like, yeah, so he's got to cut off pieces of himself, which are like, it's still very Brundle fly from the fly, right? Like it's still very like, these are still part of me, but they're, they're bad for me, but they're still part of me. I should save them to some degree. Like, 
And yeah, the whole movie is basically about what's the one thing that's worse than death surviving. <laughs> like surviving in this movie is infinitely worse than dying in this movie. Being a corporate slave to flesh eating demons. Yeah. And so I think like, yeah, I think Clive Barker has a lot of personal stuff that he drew on to make this movie have a lot more you know it has a lot more bite than other movies of this kind of sort yeah there's just something about a clive barker story that's so edgy and perverse in a way that i mean yeah stephen king is the king of horror and i like the shining as much as the next person and and yada 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 but it's not as perverse and extreme and edgy in just the way that this story is and uh i don't know i i like stories that go there i i i don't know i enjoy a good taboo uh what did you think of the scene where bradley cooper is convinced that uh vinnie jones is about to murder these kids who are selling candy uh, uh, and he buys the candy. Yeah, this movie is very um, <laughs> Spider-Verse in the sense that it plays a lot with expectations. So he wants to go onto the train at the end, and then the train passes by him because his girlfriend's on the train. So it's like, oh no, he wants to be on the train to fight this guy, but now he actually has to get on the train to fight the guy or else she's going to die. Like he gets, it's always a be careful what you wish for kind of thing. And uh, yeah, in this kind of scenario, yeah, in, this, in this kind of scenario, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, you absolutely know what's in that bag, which is murder tools. And you know that he does not care who he murders. But then he stands up and he buys a candy bar and it's it's silly and it's fun and it plays on your expectations. The whole movie just does that. Um, anytime you expect something, the movie kind of gives you a little something else uh i love stuff like that man i have to ask once again why is it that horror movies keep insisting that human meat is delicious oh so delicious man (laughs) so delicious oh yeah no i like that idea of uh the whole tofu to meat to human meat thing and i like how he even at the end like he gets his tongue taken out so it's like the conductor eats it Right, he gets, but he gets to chew his food from now on, but he doesn't get to taste it. It's such a like. Again, I didn't even think about that aspect of yeah. having your tongue taken out. I thought that it was just to silence him so he could never reveal the truth of the dwellers. No, he's so close to getting what he wants, but he can never have it. You know, like he can never really have the human meat. He can never really have the pictures of what the human, of what the city is as it, at its darkest and most evilest. Cause he'll never be able to return from there. And, oh, it's so like, this movie is so, it's so literative, right? Like it's, it's, it's so metaphorical. It's so well made, but at the same time, it's got this Mega Man grindhousey schlockiness of like Vinnie Jones. Um, but yeah, it's very referential to to action heavy fight movies that came before, and it really leans into that element. I, by the time he pulls out that hook and it sings like a right. blade. 
you knew exactly where things were going. And then <laughs> had the, the same type of percuss- percussive score uh, yeah. as he's fighting Vinnie Jones through the hanging bodies. Right. Uh, but like yeah. Vinnie Jones's weakness is human body parts in the movie, right? Like anytime a body part gets taken off and he gets hit with the body part, it's like extra oomph on it. And then at the end of the movie, he gets ripped apart and he like, I don't like, there's just something so comical about the fact that this guy's weakness in this movie is being like hit with human body parts. I thought his weakness was candy. No, his weak, no, anytime he gets beat up with a, with an arm or a leg, it, it has him getting hit with a human arm or a leg has much more impact than him getting hit with a knife or a hook like human like he's a mega man villain <laughs> like his power is also his weakness Ooh. <laughs> that that makes sense for him i yeah i thought that this movie was highly referential in ways that were much sneakier than say a Quentin Tarantino movie, which is very in your face right. about the movies that they're referencing. Like, uh, like I said before, I felt like we got a very lay samurai sequence out of the following of Vinnie Jones with no dialogue, with no explanation, just watching him work. Uh, and then I felt that the, the scene where they go into his apartment was very rear window, you know, putting the pretty blonde girl into peril in right into the den of the killer felt like a very Hitchcock moment. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Have you ever seen Pumpkinhead? No. Pumpkinhead reminds me a lot of this movie because it's very much a, um, a character who's on a a self-destructive path who who is doing something that they know they shouldn't be doing and Pumpkinhead he's reviving the monster Pumpkinhead to get revenge on these teenagers who killed his son and it's like yeah by reviving Pumpkinhead he knows something really bad is going to happen to him and at the end of Pumpkinhead it's like he becomes the new Pumpkinhead which is the same as this movie like he becomes the new butcher and it's very um it's very like folklore kind of fairy tale esque in that sense of, you know, again, be careful what you wish for or the thing that you're going to stop is the thing that you're going to become, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I like that. Uh, I thought the way that they did the sets in this movie was great too. The uh, the subway was very metropolis, very sterile, but also gritty. Uh, the hotel Barclay, where Vinnie Jones is staying, I can't call him mahogany because mahogany is the Diana Ross movie. Sure. Uh, but, but yeah, the place where he's staying, I, I felt like uh, all the sets looked amazing. Yeah, it's, um, I just, yeah, I think it's a really well-made movie all around. I think the camera work is amazing. I think the sets, the the gore, I think everything in the movie is just so spot on. Uh, when you get into territory of like, 
you know, he he's he's a photographer who loses sight of the bigger picture to to find yeah. out, you know, like the, the smaller stuff. Or the idea that like it's more freeing to be told what to do and where to go and how to act than it is just to be given an entire city to explore. You know, like at the beginning of the movie, he's kind of lost. But then the more he's kind of funneled into this world where he's specifically told exactly what to do, the more freeing it is for him as an artist to kind of learn his place in the world. So I think it's like, it's a very personal story, but it's also a movie where a guy's weakness is body parts and he gets body, he gets beaten up with body parts. I just didn't notice that aspect. I assume that what really weakened him was when he was thrown from the train. Uh, and then of course, when he was stabbed with a bone shard. With, with a, a what? A body part? A bone <laughs> is a body part? He was stabbed with a body part? Yeah. I, a... think, I thought that was all coincidence. I didn't. I did not link it as as his weakness, Mega Man style. Right. But yeah, no. And there's yeah, there's this idea of the self destructive thing. Like I could imagine Vinnie Jones being on the midnight meat train finding some guy who he was like this is weird i'm gonna follow this guy and like he kind of takes over the role of the butcher and now it's time for him to you know give up his spot yeah it's a it's a job it's position it's time for him to go he's he's outdated he's like i was saying he was training the replacement and then he was going to get fired right and yeah, so there's this there's this physical idea of the thing that I'm doing is making me sick from within, but I still have to do it because if I don't do it, then something bad will happen, right? So if he doesn't feed the demons these corpses, then the demons will rise up from the sewers and the 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 tramways, the subways and they'll eat all the people in the city. So he's got like, he's doing a good thing. He's doing the right thing, but it's destroying him from the inside out. And I like that kind of stuff. That's a, that's very very grumpy hero. Yeah. Yeah. This movie feels kind of like a, like twilight zone grew up and became really messed up. Yeah, no, yeah, it definitely has, like, um, even even Pumpkinhead has a very Twilight Zone-esque. Like, it feels less like an actual movie and more like a, a really well-done world-building episode of a careful-what-you-wish-for Twilight Zone thing. Yes, yes, or... Yeah. Um... Or again, like the better version of that uh, Tales from the Crypt episode about the artist who painted with blood. You know, they did that, but they did that better. So so final thoughts on the the good old Midnight Meat Train before we get into crush and pitch territory. I just think this is a movie where the the beginning of the movie says we're going to have a close quarters combat melee butcher fight on a train with two crazy intense people surrounded by bloody corpses and they're going to be digging at each other swiping at each other digging into corpses that are dead and blood's flying out digging into corpses that are alive that like his best friend is still alive but the blood is like as gory like it's it's uh it's like i don't know it's as it's like a 
an orgasmy type scene of like all this blood gushing on his face and stuff. It's very, it's very um, teen, teenage boy esque. Like, I don't know. Yeah. It was a lot of blood. It was a lot of blood. It was an orgasmic amount of blood. Um, and yeah, I just like this movie tells you what it's going to do right at the beginning of the movie. And you're going to go, but that's not, that's not how movies play it safe. That's not how movies are made. Like you usually get a general sense of how movies are made and what this movie's going to be. But this movie's like, nope, we're fucking going there. And I love movies that tell you where they're going to go. Like Babe Ruth, right? They, they call the shot before they hit it. And that's I, that's what this movie does, and I love it so much for that. <laughs> I, I think this is a movie that knows exactly what it is, what it wants to do, and it and it achieves that thing. And uh, it's never boring. And it is, as I said earlier, taut, taut, very taut. taut. Um, so, crushes. Who do you have a crush on? I have a feeling that I know, but I just need to hear you say it. Mm, I don't know. I kind of, I mean, there's not that many people in this movie, right? There's like 10 people in the whole movie. I really have a crush on Ted, on Ted Raimi. I've got a, I've got a crush on Ted Raimi. Okay. I was totally wrong. You have a crush on the guy whose eyeball popped out. Is it just because of his eyeball popping out? Because it's again, it's that meta yeah, so it's a met, like it's not just his character is like a like he plays a good sleazy character in the background. He he maximizes his one minute of screen time to the most where you don't really feel bad that he gets bopped from behind and his eyeball pops out. But it's Ted Raimi, the brother of Sam Raimi, the sort of Clint Howard of the of the slasher genre. He's Ted Raimi. He's the guy who gets killed in horror movies. He's made an entire career out of that. He's out of getting killed in horror movies. I didn't know. Yeah, Ted Ted Raimi has got a whole career out of just getting killed in horror movies. So the fact that that's his one sole job in this movie, and the fact that it makes it terrifying for the girl in the in the scene to then get the kill the way she gets killed. Like, ah, I just love. I just love seeing Ted Raimi pop up in anything and then seeing him in this movie just to get killed is like, yes, that is, that is Ted Raimi. Why? Who's your, who's your crush? For me, it's a tie. It's a tie between the conductor and Vinnie Jones. Yeah. Oh yeah. The way Vinnie Jones fills out that suit. You can have, I mean, again, Bradley Cooper is great. This episode's about Bradley Cooper. I feel like I've said that <laughs> in both of our episodes as I've proceeded to talk about other actors. But it's like, oof, like Vinnie Jones, uh, Dominic Purcell. That's my sexuality. <laughs> like, I don't know. I I think he is amazing in this movie. And I think yeah. at, at, before he reveals his uh, cancer boil-ridden chest, uh, I, I thought he looked great. And that haircut ends up being the haircut that every single hipster guy has like 10 years later. Right. Yeah. And yeah, he's a guy who like, he knows that Bradley Cooper is going to replace him. You know what I mean? In in an ethereal sense, he knows that one day he will be killed 
in the same way that I imagine he killed the guy who who he took over for. But he's mm-hmm. Brad, he's Vinny fucking Jones, so he's not going to run away from a fight. Anytime Bradley Cooper comes up to him, he's like, come on, right here, right now. Let's get it over with. Let's do it. This is the moment. And, like, he know, he's not going to make it easy for Bradley Cooper. Like, he even has a death scene where then he comes back from his death scene to die again. And, like, he really makes Yeah, very Terminator-like. Yeah, he really makes him earn it. And then the final scene of like welcome, like, yeah, now this is your town. This is, this is your city. Very Frank Miller esque. Like Mm -hmm. I want to know the darkness of my city. And now I'm, I'm the one who keeps it at bay. Oh, I love that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's a very, he's a very physical actor. He knows timing very well. He, this is a role that is hard to do. And Vinnie Jones fucking knocks it out of the park man the conductor it's, was great too though i, the I was, was really very appeal- good he was very appealing in his role and the way he just ate that tongue like it yeah. was nothing and then had the audacity to be like i'm so jealous of you yeah so, he's, he wish- doesn't get to kill people he only gets and to he watch apparently them get likes killed. it yeah he would love to kill people but only humans can kill the people and then the demons can eat them. That's the deal. Whatever is the Hellboy 2 fairyland deal-esque thing they got going on. That's, mm-hmm. yeah, he can't he can't kill the people. But he's, he's right there on the train while they're being killed. He gets to listen to it every night. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here every night. <laughs> um. So All yeah, right. did you have, uh, did you have a good time making this a rom-com? So it's funny, again, I, this poor Bradley Cooper deserves so much better vehicles than I was willing to give him in both of these cases, but there is actually, I I haven't really watched it, but there is an anime called Miracle Train about Mm. hot guys that personify Tokyo train stations and okay. they help women with their problems while also being hot guys. Uh, so I thought maybe I would mash up the worlds of midnight meat train uh, with the uh, <laughs> girls anime about hot guys performing miracles on a train. I like it so far. I like it already. This is great. <laughs> um so yeah I'll, I'll get mine out of the way how how was it for you i'd like to ask though i had a really good time with it oh nice yeah. oh well i'm excited well well let's get through midnight miracle train uh and then i'd, I'd like to hear what you, what you got for <laughs> us but so leon is a vain photographer who wants to be the next big thing Uh, and when potential patron Susan Hoff challenges him to take edgier pictures, Leon ends up missing his engagement party with his girlfriend Maya because he's taking photos of people in the subway, and then when he realizes that he's missed the party, he rushes up the steps, but then he falls down the stairs and blacks out and he wakes up and he's in a subway car and a man in a suit is across from him. The man introduces himself as Mahogany and tells Leon that he will call Leon Birch. 
I just assume that everybody who's part of this company has wood names. Uh, We didn't learn if Bradley Cooper got a new alias when he became the butcher, Uh, but we'll just say that it's Birch. Uh, so Leon is full of questions. Mahogany takes Leon to the conductor who explains you died when you fell down the stairs and hit your head. Now you're in purgatory. Uh, and while Leon didn't have a terrible life, he hurt the people that he loves the most with his selfishness and vanity. So now as penance, and to get to the next step, we'll kind of like the good place. They won't say like to get to heaven, but just to get to the next stage. And the next stage is a vague thing for us here. Is he reincarnated? Does he go to heaven? We don't know. But for now, your sentence is to work miracles on this train. Uh, and Leon freaks out, but then he adjusts eventually. He gets kitted out in a suit like mahogany and he begins working miracles. And, you know, I didn't really go into much detail about the kind of miracles they work, but maybe there can be funny things mm-hmm. uh, in the ways that they, they do miracles for people uh, like, uh, I don't know, helping pregnant women find seats on the train. I don't know. Um, but you know, Leon gets into the role and maybe he finds a niche in helping artistic people, uh, see the bigger picture, as you said. Uh, I like it. and, uh, then one day Maya gets on the miracle train and it's revealed that she's pregnant. Uh, Leon is so shocked because Maya doesn't recognize him and Mahogany explains that they don't look the same to people that they knew before they died. Uh, and even though Leon's heart is breaking, he helps Maya get through a fight that she'd been having with Jurgis, who is Leon's former best friend and now Maya's husband. So they moved on together without him. And this is just a very important part to Leon uh, growing his as a human. Uh, So Leon as Birch and Mahogany keep helping people. And then one day Mahogany announces that it's his last ride. uh, And Leon is really upset. Uh, Why does Mahogany have to leave? And Mahogany's like, don't you realize that I've been training you to be my replacement this whole time? (laughs) Um, And now Leon is alone. And maybe it feels like there's a hundred years that pass with him working people on the train. Maybe he'll pass by Maya and Jurgis as an older couple. Uh, And then the conductor introduces a new miracle worker, Elm. And Elm is a woman. Uh, And Leon is excited because this means that if he tr- if he's training Elm, then that means that he's almost ready to go. Right. He's, he's almost ready to move on to whatever the next stage is. Uh, and as he trains Elm, though, he gets really close to her. Uh, and we'll say, you know, cute stuff happens. They fall in love. Uh, and it's time for him to go. Eventually, he doesn't want to go. He tries to hold on. Maybe he wants to tell Elm his real name, and she wants to tell him hers. But in a your name moment, they get separated right at the vital moment. Leon wakes up in an empty Grand Central Station. And then above the subway entrances, 
there's forward and backward instead of uh, what is it uptown and downtown is usually what it shows. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, maybe something cute like forward and backward. And maybe he refuses to go anywhere and he says, no, I'm going to wait. Uh, and he waits and he sleeps. And then eventually Elm does come and they're reunited uh, and she tells him that she asked for her own miracle. And maybe Leon says something funny, like, we could have done that. <laughs> we could have done that the whole time. Uh, and then they walk through forward together. They get on the train and Mahogany is there. And he says, what took you so long? Aww. And then they all live happily ever after. Yes. On whatever in, the next in, page in whatever is. Whatever the next stage is, right. It's deliberately vague, which I don't think is as bad as showing people whispering without <laughs> showing what they're saying. I gotcha. Yeah, could be. Could be. Um, yeah, so I just called mine Daydream Express. Oh, I like that. Yeah, and it's Leon, right? Leon, he's a normal guy. He's really suave. He's really successful. Uh, he's he's a quote unquote catch all the women in the office or wherever he works. Everyone thinks he's a catch. One of the biggest questions he always gets is, why are you single? You know, you're such a lovely man. You should have someone. But the problem is whenever he goes home and he spends time alone, he discovers that he really he he has this thing where he wants to be like a voyeur, right? He, his sexual kink is voyeurism. And so he likes to see other people at their most intimate. And that's what makes, that's what gets him going. You know what I mean? So he's got all these hangups about like, but can I ever be intimate with myself? And, you know, he's, he's a, he's a guy, he's, he's afraid of his emotions, but he's, he's, he's a sexual deviant, of sorts um that's his setup then we have the angel character who the angel is gonna play like this guillermo del toro no eyes weird hands kind of monster who's in this who's in like the heart of the city is but actually an angel like, yeah but like an angel instead of a demon but you know like Guillermo del Toro angels are still really gross and creepy and like yeah. they kind of look like bad guys anyway, even though they're good guys. Um, so it's like a, it's, it's one of those angels. And so there's like the angel is living at the, at the center of the city in the quote unquote heart of the city, right? Which is like an actual personified heart and it's beating. And the angel has like, maybe like these like magic hands where like the angel can't see, but she can like feel. And what she has to do is like pull these heart strings to oh. make people in the city fall in love. Because if the city doesn't have so much love in it, then it'll be overtaken by badness. And then everyone will become mean and grumpy. And then the bad guys will win or however these kinds of movies work. Right. So, what happens is the angel has to manipulate and set up people on the subway because the angel has to keep so much love flowing through the city or else the city will, the heart will stop beating and the city will, will be destroyed and die. But Leon who can't really sleep, 
he's staying up and he's rubbing his eyes, right? And if you're rubbing your eyes and you're a voyeur, that's like a turn on, right? Because you're like rubbing yourself and it's like, ooh, I didn't think you're of getting that turned as being on. a turn on for voyeurs. This is how this movie works, though. <laughs> it's, it's like, so you don't really know if he's like, turned on because he's rubbing his eyes or or what the deal is or if he's just like got these super voyeur powers but essentially he sees these men come inside of the of the train and put up a new advertisement and the new advertisement that he that they put up he can see it like um what's that movie uh the the rowdy rowdy piper movie they live john carpenter yeah. right so he can see like John Carpenter where it says like fuck and and he's like what you can't put that on an ad in a subway but then he notices like th- his vision starts to blur again and so he like rubs his eyes and he can see it's kind of like a magic eye thing where okay. where like he can see the hidden meaning behind these ads but then these ads are specifically designed to get these two people sitting next to each other to hook up because maybe they're like hey i had a dog who looked like that when i was five right and she's like i had a dog that was like that when i was five so then these people start talking and then like you know they don't start fucking on the train but they're like it's implied that they're now a couple and so as the train goes through the city the love juices are flowing and whatnot but basically leon is obsessed with these people who are putting up these signs because he can see what the signs really mean and he doesn't know what it means. And he's trying to find out his purpose in life. And he knows that there's gotta be someone out there for him. So Vinnie Jones is one of the guys who puts the signs up. So he thinks, well, maybe, maybe I should be with Vinnie Jones, right? Maybe I shouldn't be trying to date (laughs) ladies or whatever. Maybe I should ask this guy, Vinnie Jones out on a date. I mean, Vinny Jones is a cute guy. I get it. Right. And so he asked Vinny Jones out on a date and, you know, maybe we can have some like got to stop meeting like this scenarios because like Vinny Jones, his job is to put stuff up on the subway and Bradley Cooper rides the subway a lot. But then he gets Vinny Jones into a scenario like a bedroom probably. And they probably try to fool around, but he's like, oh, wait. I'm not gay. And, and the, the symbol that I thought Vinny Jones might have might have had like maybe it's like sims i don't know how you play sims right but yeah you know like sims how maybe they have like little icons above their heads i'm doing it like i don't know if you can see it on the camera they have little icons (laughs) above their head right like maybe Vinny, maybe bradley cooper starts to see icons above people's heads but the icons match and so he's looking for his match so he's thinking maybe vinnie jones has an icon on him somewhere but he doesn't Mm -hmm. so So then he's getting really frustrated. He goes back to the subway. He's riding the subway. He can't get sleep. He can't think. He can't do his job well. Everything is just messing up. And then he notices people that look like Vinnie Jones getting off the subway and going down into the the sewers, the hidden tunnels of the subway. So, of course, he follows. He gets lost. And then he meets up with the angel. And the angel's like, hey, no one's supposed to be down here. And he's like, well, I've, I found my way down here. And so they hook up. And he ends up asking the angel out on a date. And the angel's like, I know about everyone else's love life. I don't have a love life of my own. I've never been out on an actual date of my own. 
So then they have to like go out on a date and stuff. And it's this weird Guillermo del Toro, like fish monster person with Bradley Cooper. And they go out on a date and they go out on town on the town and they dance and stuff. And so we can have some monster fun there. We're, you know, I don't know. Joke. They go to the Statue of Liberty. Yeah. The museum and then, of natural history. <laughs> and then at the end of the movie, we get this scene where like, maybe she's like, hey, listen, the city is going to flow with hate if I don't find enough love to pump through the subway. So I've got to, I, I can't neglect my duties. I've got to, you've got to go. We've got to break up. And then of Aww. course the angel learns that like, oh wait, maybe it's not a quantity game where like I need to have a million couples in love on the subway. Maybe it's more like a quality game. And maybe if I'm the one in love with one person and it's a meaningful relationship, then maybe that will be good. And then of course, like the heart starts to beat faster. So the the angel demon monster lady has to run to Bradley Cooper in one big grin. Yeah, she does. Right. And then at the end, we get moments where she's still making advertisements for the subway, but then she brings those advertisements home and shows them to Bradley Cooper. And it's kind of like sexy for them because Bradley Cooper gets to like see very intimate connection. She's basically like making his porn for him. And she's like, hey, look at this ad I made today. And he's like, oh, this is for two people who like this and you know it gets him all worked up and it gets her all worked up and then it wait so they they just get worked up together over matchmaking people and then watching them together well no and then at the end they spend time they spend time in bed together but that's like you know the sheets come over the the iris closes the Uh end we don't actually (laughs) get to see them in bed that would be gross (laughs) (laughs) oh no i wanted the inner species romance (laughs) that's uh that's the the guillermo del toro midnight meat train clive barker rom-com remake daydream express i like it i think that there's room for this you know it hasn't made its way cinematic yet but there's a very popular alien romance novel called ice planet barbarians so there is a market out there for alien or angel Guillermo del Toro creature and human romances. Yeah. If Shape of Water can win the Oscar, right? Right, right, yeah. exactly. All right. Well, that just about does it for today. Before we get into Love Bites, we just want to remind you that you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, as well as email us at necromancer at gmail dot or necromancerpodcast at gmail.com. Please like, subscribe, review, rate. We need it all. Help us. Uh, maybe we'll even start a Patreon and include interesting patreon things that we can do uh i don't know you'll give us ideas uh so love bites what would you like to recommend this week oh well i got a little video game called ori in the blind forest have you heard of that one no not at all it's a really good game it's a metroidvania type game so for those people who listen who don't know metroidvania is basically where you have one big map And you have one little character, and then your character gets power-ups. And the more power-ups you get, the more of the map you can explore. Um, I had a really, really, really hard time with the first 
act of this game because I missed a door that was right in front of me that I should have gone through to get. Oh, you didn't get the power up. I didn't get the power up. So I was lost. And I was like, how do I, I didn't want to open a strategy guide. Cause I was like, I want to beat this. Like, it's not that hard of a game. I want to beat it. So finally I opened up a strategy guide and I realized I was missing three power-ups I needed. So that made me feel a little better. Cause I was like, clearly I missed something obvious. So I went back and it did take me a lot longer than I care to admit to find this obvious route. But once I found it, oh my God, once the game opened up and I could actually start exploring and playing, it was so great. You play this little white monkey rabbit mouse creature and you just get double jumps and triple jumps and swooping jumps and speedy jumps and dashing jumps and it all just becomes about you becoming more mobile around the forest and you have to save the forest and bring the light back and all this stuff but it's a very cute little metroidvania very short game very easy the i played it on hard mode and it was not that hard um it's just a very calm little game about exploration and sadness it's got some sadness in it but it's good a lot of games are actually about sadness and depression they just try to trojan horse it in there with fun game mechanics a lot of indie games for sure yeah they they really like to lay on the sadness but i liked it i liked it a lot very short game very easy very fun how about you what's your love bite So I was actually thinking of other Bradley Cooper performances to recommend. And I think in the previous episode, we were talking about him as a rocket in Guardians of the Galaxy. And I'd like to recommend Guardians of the Galaxy. I think that Guardians of the Galaxy is a perfect entry point into the Marvel Cinematic Universe because You don't need to know a single thing about Marvel comics or superheroes or the comic book on which Guardians is based on. You can go into that movie completely blind and enjoy it as just a fun, poppy movie about a wacky band of outsiders that go through space together. Uh, and Bradley Cooper as Rocket is the most entertaining and interesting out of the group, I think. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and I think that his performance as that character is just really good. Yeah, I, uh, because of Mank, I haven't watched Mank yet, but because of Mank, Amanda Seyfried is in the news again. She's in the headlines mm-hmm. again. And one thing I saw was that Amanda Seyfried turned down Guardians of the Galaxy because she was scared it was going to be a box office flop. And that is is 100% a legit fear for anyone going into Guardians of the Galaxy whenever that movie was made. Right. They had no idea that it was going to be the smashing success that it was. Super irony that it was the highest grossing movie of the year. And it was based off of, like, yeah, it's based off of a comic book, but it's based off of a comic book that most people have no idea what it is. And it's a comic book with, like, a talking tree and raccoon and a green lady and this, you know, like, with with all this weird stuff. And so the fact that James Gunn and all those actors and crew members and stuff could make a movie like Guardians of the Galaxy as freaking fun as it is. 
It's yeah, an incredibly man. fun movie. It's and I think so Bradley Cooper is what holds it all together. His jokes, his punchlines are the best in the movie. Yeah, I agree. It's good stuff. That it is. All right. Well, I guess that is it for friend of the podcast, Bradley Cooper. See you later. Necromancer is produced by Brett Dorman and Shira Moore. The theme song is Symphonia 3 by Kevin McLeod on the album Oddities.